You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good afternoon. This is John Corey and the Reverend C.L. Mitchell coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. This is the Living Truth Podcast. In case this is your first time tuning in, we are two friends that love to get together over a cup of coffee and discuss the scripture and life together. And we imagine that you as a listener are just kind of eavesdropping and listening in on our conversation. And we have been going through the book of Jonah. And what we're, we're doing is just going verse by verse, discussing analyzing and contemplating on the Word of God and uh, its meaning and its application for our lives. So uh, sit back and uh, enjoy the conversation. We are actually in the midst of discussing Jonah chapter 2. Now, CL, before we get started, brother, it is, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Um, it's, it's always fun to get together. And so how you been? How you been, brother? I've been good. Um, we've been experiencing warmer weather. Yeah, we live in Phoenix. <clears throat> yes, today was a bit of cloud cover it, it, with it, a breeze. Yes. So well, that yeah. was, I can't say refreshing, but that was helpful. Yes, it was helpful. It's uh, we, had a, um, we had a later summer. June and May, or May and June were very good. July hit us super hot, hot and super yes. um, humid, actually, for us. And, and we're praying that that will um, cease and desist soon and will not carry over into kind of October yeah. uh, and November. Yeah. Um, but but it, it's, it's reasonably well. Um, and uh, so I'm delighted about that, but but doing very well. It's it's good to see you. Well, it's good to see you too. Hey, listen, we live in the desert, but I'm ready, I'm ready to jump into the ocean right now and and uh, get after Jonah. So let me do uh, do this. Let's uh, go into the scripture. We actually uh, uh, started chapter two last time, which was about time we got the man into the fish. Chapter two, I'm going to read uh, really the, the whole chapter. It's only 10 verses long, and we'll go from there. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You, you heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great gulf, uh, the, the great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars or gates was around me forever. But you have brought me up from uh, up my life. Uh, you have brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Now, technically, in the Hebrew text, the first section, the first verse, goes back to our English Bible, verse seventeen where it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, 
And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. So it begins there, and then it ends with the, the fish throwing Jonah back up to the dry land. And so now let's talk about that, because now this is the first time you, okay, you hear from Jonah in chapter one. Okay, if you remember, Jonah is called by God to, uh, to go to a place called Nineveh, which was uh, part of Assyria, and to deliver a message uh, offering repentance uh, for them. And Jonah decided to go the opposite, the opposite way. He took a took a ship on its way to Tarshish, which could be as far as Spain or could be somewhere in the Mediterranean. We just don't know for sure. But he did not want to go as uh, to Nineveh. And of course, in the midst of this this uh, rebellion, this running away, uh, God allows a storm to come in, and uh, the men of the of the ship, of course, uh, def- dis- determined that it's Jonah's fault why this uh, storm has come. And he said, "Yeah." Uh, throw me overboard, and the storm will stop. And when he does that, when they when they do that, um, the fish comes in, of course, swallows them. So now we're finally, and this is the first time, really, that we've heard some long discussion from Jonah, some some from revelation, really, of of him, of what he sees and what he's feeling, and sort of a confessional of of, of, of sorts. It's a, a prayer of sorts, a psalm of sorts. And so we're going to look into that because there's a lot here. So, brother, <clears throat> this is a very unique section. And while the book is overall in a narrative form, right? Um, some of the genre, right, or that is French for kind or style of the book, probably blue français. <laughs> <laughs> some of the style. Uh, of the book changes and we have to acknowledge those style stylistic changes because those stylistic changes help us to understand those sections or segments but when we understand them we must understand them distinctly but then we must understand them fittedly within the framework of their larger context and just to just interject he's going from a narrative genre to like a poetic genre a poetic which you got which of course you know now adds more feeling, adds more emotion to the text is what uh, he's going to do here. That is correct. And some of the, and some of the structure is going to change. So when we're engaged in poetry, this, and, and this, this poetic prose or this poetic prayer, what we will see is we will see not only a great emotiveness or emotionalism, but we'll also see certain styles of speaking like for instance, parallel. Right. He'll say one thing and then he'll progress that thought afterward. And we'll also see that he'll build the the imagery right. here. Uh, secondarily, we'll see what is referred to as a couple of chiastic structures. Right, right. And we'll see that the center point of that gives us... Oh, you us can give it away already. Oh, no, no, okay. no, no. We'll see that the center point of those chiastic right. structures give us the main point of the prayer. Right. While the, while the, the uh, bookends of that chiastic structure give us the theme of right. sorts. It's, it kind of sandwiches there, right. uh, bookends it. And so we should be attentive to those. We'll also see that here in this prayer... Yeah. He uses um, uh, a pronominal uh, 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 suffix uh, that would, we would translate I. Yeah. He uses it, John, like some 28 times. Yeah. And, yeah. and the prayer only it's, That reveals of, a lot. It does reveal so, a so lot. So let's look at something here, because 
obviously in okay, and we're talking about the structure of the book. There's there's this there's a parallel structure between this prayer here and the prayer in chapter four, where we'll we'll, we'll get to that later on. But it sort of asks the questions or begs the question as far as has Jonah's heart really has his heart really changed? Right. That's going to be one of the questions, and that's what we're going to look at. Is the man's going to be praying? What kind of prayer? Well, we'll talk about the the, the thing. Is, he says, "I call out of my distress." Uh, uh, to the Lord, mm-hmm. which is the first time he, he, the first time he's actually praying in the book. You know, when early in chapter one, the sailors are all praying. You know, right? they're they're calling out to their gods and they're saying, "Jonah, call out to your God." And finally, they they even call out to Yahweh. They're calling out to their their Elohim, their gods. Um, but it's interesting that this is the first time that he's praying. But the the timing of his prayer and the timing of when he prays is finally now in the belly, not of the ship, but now in the f- belly of the of the of the fish. And and just it just made me think about oftentimes when we pray, you know, like what are the times that that we pray? Like when when do most people hit their knees? But in the times of distress, mm-hmm. times and when. When it when life's gotten too much, you know, it's gotten too overwhelming, and now at, at this point in Jonah's life, okay, he's reached that point, you know, absolutely. Um, but just as far as of a, a point, of, you know, God can hear your prayer anytime, whether it's in distress or out of distress. But it's interesting of what it takes the Lord to bring you to that point of prayer, and what kind of prayer, you know. Well, I'm not going to comment on everything right now. We're going to see what kind of prayer it is, but I think God is gracious. On even receiving this kind of prayer, though, in, though imperfect it's going to be. Um, I, I think it's important to mention, I'm going to rephrase something that you said, uh, John, and that is, in the beginning of the book, God talks to Jonah. Yeah. Jonah never talks to God that we have record right. of until we get to this chapter Yeah. within this narrative. Now, we should know within this narrative while we go from chapter one to chapter two, this is some time. The innuendo is very strong that there was some space of time that he did not speak to God. Now, the scenario is very strong and telling here. Right. Because this is not just a um, common believer. No. Um, This is a prophet. This is an individual who has been chosen by God to listen to God and to speak to God and to be the mouthpiece of God to the people, in this particular case, to a foreign nation. And as soon as God spoke, he avoids the voice of God. So chapter two, frankly, should be startling to us because it's not the norm that a prophet would not be in communication or 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 verbal exchange with God. Yeah, he's a spokesman for God. But here's what's interesting is it should, you know, if he was if if you and I were in charge, right? Hey, we wouldn't have picked the guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if the guy's running away, sorry. Um at the end of chapter one, it would have been and the Lord appointed a fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was no more. That would have been if we wrote the story, it would have been Next, you know, because you don't right. deserve this, Jonah, because you're a runaway prophet. You don't listen to your God. You don't talk to your God. On and on and on. And God, of course, you know, it's interesting that God would would designate uh, an Uberite, so to speak, for Jonah to get back to the dry land, to get back to 
his purpose for him and not give up on, on, on the prophet. And of course, Jonah is now finally coming to the place where he's going to cry out to God. It's going to be a, it's a prayer that's imperfect. God still is going to hear that prayer. And he's still, in the midst of him praying, the fish is on its way back towards where he needs to let him off, you know? Jonah doesn't know that. He has no idea where he's going. And we know in the course of the prayer, it's going to be a down, 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 down hill journey for him. And he doesn't know what God has in store for him. And it's interesting. So, so he says, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice, which is kind of, which is, at the with at the, almost at the edge, you know, at the very the very limits, you know, how far do you go, um, in God hearing your prayer, and that's where Jonah is. I'm terribly taken, John, by the reality that all of his conversation hitherto, or all of his speech, God oriented, hitherto, yeah, has only been under duress, right. He didn't voluntarily um, speak to the mariners about his God. Right. Uh, They had to force this bit of information out of him. So in the entire book thus far, the only time we've heard him speak as a mouthpiece representing God in any manner has been under duress. Right. To the mariners. But notice the duress is his. He's in trouble. He's gotten other yeah. people in trouble. And now it's almost this sense where he's willing to go silently to his grave. See, that's the that's the thing. It's almost like the stubbornness. Yes. Oh, I'd rather of the this 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 dichotomy of the of 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 rather um enduring the punishment of God than submitting to the will of God. Or so he thinks. And so he thinks. And so there's this this I don't want to say this wrestling match, but but it's this this tension where Jonah is just okay. He he he's checking out. We know chapter one. He's checking out. He's going on the ship. He's going down to to the heart of the ship. He's falling asleep. He's sleeping through. He doesn't care. Now even in this fish, though he's he is he's crying out finally from from the from the depths. It's like at one point is Jonah, or let's just put it to us: Are we? You know, are we sometimes you know stubborn to 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 want to resist the will of God, and to the point where we'd rather endure the consequences of of discipline or punishment because for some for some odd reason that you know it doesn't make any logical sense. So it's like you 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 know you're going through the discipline of God. You're facing that because you're just being rebellious or you're being stubborn, and you're acting like that's the only choice you have. When it's not, you know, and so there's this tension here. I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud about, about now. Finally, Jonah calls out of in his distress. Now God, you know, he's you can't get any worse where he's at in a fish and going down, down, down. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to look at this in a different perspective, John. I'm not sure that communication with God via prayer or His Word is something that is inviting or easy to do or has great regularity in the life of the person who is intentionally pursuing disobedience. Right, you don't want to talk to God because you know you're disobedient. 
I, I think we must pay attention to that in this narrative. I think that when I don't want to do what you've told me, my fear is if I talk to you, you're only going to say more of the same. Right. I'm going to discover that your your words have not changed. Now, please notice in our day, we have a little bit, we're very much the same, but we have sub-forms of doing that, right? right. I, either we just abruptly do not speak to God, or we'll go to different churches with different pastors right. who are different interpreters and see if we can get a different take on right. what God said. We'll say, well, I don't think that was God's voice to me. I'll find somebody else that's going to agree with my perspective to convince myself that I heard from God in a different way. It, it even happens. It happens at the most erudite level of scholarship, right? Yeah. Um, um, you can have uh, in liberal scholarship. The idea is I come with a presupposition that says the text couldn't possibly mean right. that. So what I'll do is I'll try to find something, some corroborating um, 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 author or evidence of some sort that that just seems to give um, uh, some sort of agreement. It, it's like it gives you ammunition for your absolutely. It's it's a clashing of the wills of 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 your will against God's will, and and you're you're gonna get your reinforcements. You can get your. Your crew on your side, your the, the the scholars you agree with, their friends, the pastors, the te- to all on your camp, all to ignore the voice of God that you're submit stuffing, you're 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 resisting, you're suppressing, you're suppressing. That's what I'm looking for, His voice. And what's interesting is that that His voice doesn't go away. No, is that is that is that Jonah? In fact, in this case, he finally relents to that voice. You know, he in a sense he finally. His his way, his will has gotten him into this, and it's not helping him any further, you know? And he's finally come to the place where we think, <laughs> we haven't got to this part in the prayer, where maybe he's realizing, not my will, but your will, so to speak, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. What, what, what catches me, John, is, number one, I think it's important to say to our audience... When there is a lifestyle of disobedience, prayer is uncomfortable. Yeah. Reading scripture is uncomfortable. You avoid it. Hearing a sermon is uncomfortable. Yeah. The company of the righteous is uncomfortable. Yeah. And you will actually try to take it out on the person from whom you're hearing the voice of God. Right. right? That could be a husband, that could be a wife, that could be a child, that could be a parent, that that could be a teacher, a professor. You'll actually try, and because it's easier, right? It's easier to persecute the mouthpiece than is it, it is to to be able to say to God, "Stop speaking." And, and so it may be it may be a measuring line for some of our listeners to say, if you find yourself avoiding prayer, if you find yourself avoiding scripture, sometimes right the reason can be disobedience has made communicative intimacy with God uncomfortable. You know, it's funny, it speaks to the human nature and the human heart of wanting your way above God's way. And I'm thinking about Jesus, what happened to Jesus as he's preaching truth. They wanted to kill him numerous times. 
his own town people wanted to run off and throw him off the cliff or something, you know, and, and or stone him or kill him because he was speaking truth that they didn't want to hear. Um, and he even talks about the fact that, that, you know, Israel had killed their prophets in the past, you know, and that the unwillingness to to hear God's word because, you know, God's word and, and God's truth, it challenges the human heart. That's really, you know, our human heart is a rebellious uh, part of us. And that's that's the wrestling match. And so it's almost like right here in, in the book of Jonah, it's like, it's like Jonah is trying to play the game of chicken with God <laughs> and, yeah, and God's risk. not budging. Right. And it's risky. And he's, he's playing on the edge of death. You know, the, the text that describe where he ends up and he's playing on the, uh, sort of on the verge of crossing over that line where he doesn't know if he's dead or alive. He doesn't know if he's crossed past the point of no return. And it's all because the heart is rebellious. And, and we know this at the, and this is the, this is, you know, like you said, this is the prophet of God that ought to be the one that speaks for God and has the heart of the, of God for the people he's trying to reach. And here, God's own spokesman doesn't have a heart for God or for his people. And it tells you this to the depths of human heart. But I think you're exactly right on, and if you are avoiding prayer, if you're avoiding the people of God, the word of God, if you react in a negative way, or if you want to dumb it down or, or water it down. and Or change. Or change it's it. Interpretation. It's interpretation or translation. You have to be very careful. Because then you are, you're, you're trying to ignore the voice of God, and, and it's just a clash of the will, I guess, you know. Speaking of the clash of the will, there's yeah. a second caveat that I think I want to mention before we move forward. John, in the Masoretic text here, yeah. the, the language Hasatan, Satan, is never mentioned. No. Now, that's interesting. Because you would look at this level of stubbornness and think, surely this is satanic. No, yeah. And and I'm not saying that there's not some play, but the book never mentions him. What we have in this book, however, is the will of God yeah. pitted against the will of a believer. Now, I think that this is insightful because believers are capable of this sort of stubbornness of heart. They are capable, having been saved by grace, having known God's character, to resist God so to let's, this level. Let's dig into that for a second, because there are cases when believers, like you just said, harden their heart against God for, for whatever reason. Let's just talk about, let's dig into that, because what are times when, when believers don't want to hear God's voice, when believers want to, to avoid um, the voice of God and the will of God. We're, let's let's talk about that because I think that's very significant. And um, spec, you know, we're not talking about an unbeliever here in Jonah. We're talking about a prophet of God who knew God. Knew, he's know, a believer. He's a believer. His salvation is not at risk. Jesus uses Jonah's example as for his for his um, picture of his his own death and resurrection. But times when believers don't want to hear it from God, and there are those times. And what we may not do is we may not adopt a theology that says. Well, if they were really a believer, yeah. if they ever really accepted Christ, they will always want to hear. That's just, I, not, that's just, I mean, come on, let's just be honest. You know, here's, here's Peter denying the Lord three times right before, he, I mean, and, and feeling obviously horrible about it, but, but it tells you the, the depths of how far, 
you know, we go to, to defend ourselves and, and um, save our own skin. But I'm just thinking about times when, and I'm just thinking of, of my life and people I know, maybe they went through tragedy, you know, like, like maybe a death of a loved one, a child, a husband, and it was just, it just didn't fit their, their theology of, you know, you know, God being control everything. Well, if God was going to control, why would he allow this, this thing to happen? I'm, I'm, I'm reading the book with Jonah this morning, chapter one. Jonah is, you know, he's, he's got, he's, he's rich. He's got a family. He's got, he's a righteous man. And, and, um, you know, you know the scene where, where Satan comes in and accuses God, saying, "Hey, you're just protecting the man." You know, and Satan says, "You, um, you just, you know, take his things away, and and uh, he will curse you." And of course, God says, "You know, don't touch him." But you can, and person after person after person comes back. Hey, I was there was a storm. There was this. You know, we got attacked, and I was all, I was the last one to come back, and I survived. And he loses his possessions, everything, his children. They're all in, in the course of one day. He loses everything. And at the end, it says that he prayed and he blessed the Lord and he did not sin. And of anyone, Job could have been one of those guys who decided to to just check out of life, you know, because tragedy happened. It didn't fit his theology or didn't fit what we expect, you know, Um, at least in America, the American version of the gospel. If you follow God and you pray certain prayers, you do certain things, then God will make everything go right. But what happens when things don't go right? Well, there are believers who have had circumstances happen where they've just checked out. You know, they just have given up because of the hurt and the pain and and the unexpectedness and the questions like, well, where were you, God? And so um, that's not what Jonah's going through here, but that's what may, some people may go through where they decide for whatever reason to, to check out, you know, and to go on that course of rebellion and not wanting to hear God's word anymore. So um, I think this may be a word, you know, from uh, from God to some people that uh, he doesn't give up, you know, he doesn't give up on his runaway prophet. He doesn't give up on his hurting people, his hurting sheep and people that that have undergone gone a tragedy or, or something very, very difficult, you know? Yeah, I, I think, John, that when we're looking at something like this, we're immediately met with disobedience. Right. Right? You, you, you open up chapter number one, and the word of the Eternal One came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Adversative conjunction, but Jonah did rise. Right. But he rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. See, see, go, go on, because so what I'm seeing here is rank disobedience. He he deliberately went the opposite way. Stop for a moment, because the word of the Lord to him was revelation. Right. It was not interpretation. It was not illumination. It was revelation, clear revelation spoken to him by God. He recognizes the voice of God. We know that from his ministry that's articulated right. in Kings. So we already know this. So he knew that this was God. So it, it, it raises an issue to begin with. Do we ever see in the Bible where you can have deliberate, or rather you can have legitimate believers who are deliberately disobedient to God? Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and I don't want to take their salvation away for that. Because I want to look at Abram, who deliberately took Lot yeah. 
when God said, don't do it. I want to look at at Jacob, who deliberately did the opposite of what God said. Let me just, um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, Go right ahead. It just made me think, because I have to ask the question, why did Jonah run? I mean, it's disobedience, we know that. But why, you know, what if... You know, what if God said, I want you to go to um, go to Jerusalem and, you know, deliver some goods to some people? You think he would run away from that? No. What was it about his commission that Jonah did not like? And we, we get a hint of it later on in chapter 4. Right. He says, um, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were gracious and compassionate. So he's thinking, he says, I knew that you were, you were gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abundant in loving with kindness, and one who relents in concerning calamity. Of course, is a quote from Exodus with uh, God speaking to Moses. So why would Jonah want to rebel in this case when he has to bring a message to these people? Is it because it's those people that Jonah doesn't like and those people that he doesn't care about and those people that don't deserve God's love and grace because those people were mean and nasty and everything else and they deserve because there's this anger burning within Jonah, and there's this resentment burning within Jonah that says, Mm-mm, God's, my, God's love can extend to those people, but my love stops somewhere, you know? Yeah, I think God's character and means of handling the situation with the target audience isn't agreeable to Jonah. Right, so just think about this as a, as a believer. Let's just carry on to today. I mean, there are times when God calls us to love I mean, you know, we hypothetically think, yeah, I'll be like Jesus and love the unlovable. Then, but let's say we're faced with somebody that that has brought hurt to our lives or that has has done things that we just don't agree with, and there is this tension of trying to to you know of withholding that, you know, and and yet God calls us to love. I'm just thinking about in the modern in the American church, you know, there are people who who are coming to church and they're living different lifestyles or they're struggling with different sins and sometimes as as an american christian we sort of like have in our mind what what you know christianity what what people and we want to we want to have people we want to have clean fish come to the lord not dirty fish you know and i'm wondering i'm just wondering where the 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 depths of jonah's heart you know where it's it reveals the human the the limits of the human heart because you know god you love so far but i can't love that like like that you know and yes. and it's almost as if god is revealing to jonah you know you, <laughs> to be my prophet there has to be a love beyond your human capability to love you know and I think that's what Jonah, and I think Jonah's reacting to that, and he, I think he recognizes that and, and realizes that. And, uh, and that speaks to me because I know that there's times when God does, he tells me to love the unlovable, tells me to, to, you know, to take in the outcast and everything else, and people I may not necessarily associate with, he calls me to go outside of my, my friends and my family that I'll, you know, that I'll hang out with and befriend or be kind to people outside there. And so... Here's Jonah challenged with Ninevites to share a message of salvation. No way, God. You know, I can't go that far. You know? I, I, I look at that because while I like what you're saying in the love of God and the character of God, I think it's it's a little bit it's that's specific to this text. So the application is true within keeping to the text, the mercy of God, the grace of God, etc. But 
I look and I find, John, that this capacity to not like that which God bids us to do yeah. is alive and well in all of us. Oh, you, you, yeah, more certainly. And, and so ours may not be the flavor of someone else's. Right. And I think that's where we have to grapple with this. I think we must grapple with this at the level of, of I would like very much to point my finger at the person who's not doing what it's easy for me to do. Right. See, and, and you're right. And, and in a sense, Jonah, Jonah speaks to our hearts. Yes. Because, you know, we can look at Jonah and say, oh, Jonah, you're just such a, you know, bad guy. And, and it's almost as if the guy, that could be us. That, that could be any one of us, given the right circumstances of, you know, of, um, uh, of you know, if God, you know, brought us to, uh, to call, to, to, to love people that may, we think is undeserving of love, you know. And it's as if to say, where your love ends, God loves, God loves, God's love continues, you know, and to try to enter into that and to realize that if we're going to be representatives of his love, there's going to be a stretching for us. There's going to be a, uh, a radical stretching that goes beyond uh, normal humanity. And that's the, that's a real wrestling point with a lot of people, you know? Yeah, so, so I think what I want to say to people is realize this is part and parcel with who we are in our fallen Adamic nature. There will be moments where believers, legitimate believers struggle to adhere to and to obey God. And what I don't want is I don't want other believers to be quick to deny their Christianity. Right. And I don't want others to be quick to deny that the Holy Spirit is at work in or through them. Right. First, I want to allow you can be an, a genuine believer and 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 struggle with obeying God. Right. Okay? Oh, yeah. Um, but here's the second thing that I want to say that that admission is not an excuse that there are immediate consequences to ourselves yeah to the persons in our lives the mariners to to others to whom god has called us to minister yeah that that will be set in motion as a result of our disobedience so we have to wrestle with the idea that what we see in scripture uh, from genesis on is this struggle, and this struggle alone does not illegitimize us of being a believer. But here's right. what will happen. The grace of God knows how to chasten us in love yep. and bring us back to that place of obedience through the process of sanctification. Yeah. What we're going to see here, however, is just because we have behavioral modification and do what right. God says, right doesn't mean that our hearts have bowed to his will in desire right. to do that which yeah. he says. So we have to bring the, 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 the immaterial and the material together, right. longing to do the will of God. I, I just think that was an important that's, point That's a good to point. Make. That's a good point. So he says in, for you, in verse 3, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of seas. Of course, he's he's throwing. He's going back to when the sailors threw him into the sea. What it actually was the hand of God <laughs> hurling mm-hmm. him into the sea. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and all your breakers and billows passed over me. Of course, the scene of 
of beginning to sink and and get caught in the waves and and then he says so i said i have been expelled from your sight nevertheless i will look again toward your holy temple the fact that he has he has the wherewithal to even think now think of god in the midst of this you know i don't know about you when i'm going through okay you know some really really hard things your mind is racing you're making your your you know especially when you're facing you're facing danger to, you know to your life and um you you there are only certain things that come to your mind you know yeah. um i remember i was uh i think i said this before i was at a at a fair here in town amusement you know fair and i'm on a ride and it's one of those rides where it kind of turns you <laughs> it kind of turns you and there's this bar that goes over your chest and you're up in the air and it twirls you so that you're hanging upside down and the only thing holding you holding you in the chair is this this bar going over your your shoulders yeah not cool and the only thing that got through my first of all, there's two things about in my mind is one this is a state fair they better have inspected <laughs> their, their rides here and secondly the only thing that really came to my mind was the lord's my shepherd yeah. the lord's my shepherd i i couldn't finish psalm 23 from the life of me because <laughs> the only thing that came to mind was the lord is my shepherd i shall not want <laughs> you know you know and it was like i, I was you know i wasn't my life was in danger but it's one of those things where Instantly, I st- my mind started turning to, dear God, you know, please yeah. help me. Yeah. And here Jonah is beginning to enter into that. He doesn't know a this, that 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 a fish is coming or that this is not the end of him forever. And all he knows it says, I turned to your. I looked again to your holy temple, yeah, to the y- presence of God. There are few numbers throughout the whole of Scripture for individuals who have committed suicide or who have attempted suicide. For Jonah, this is an attempt of assisted suicide. Right. Let's get the mariners to do the dirty work. Yep. Right, so that my hands are are washed clean, as it were. By the way, the Bible never looks positively on suicide. No. Never does. No. Um, Don't take that chance. No. No. First of all, you're, you're trying to touch that which is sacred, which is God's alone to give yeah. and to take. Um, and, and so the cost of that is exceptionally high. I wish I had time to go through the rivets in the water of life yeah. for individuals who have left loved ones without answers. And by the way, without answers doesn't mean your note is enough. Your text no, is enough. The your ripple email f- is enough. The ripple effect goes on and on and on and the, the, qu- the pain never goes away. No, it, it, it never does. He is attempting to end his life. Um, however, you're immediately met with a contrast. It's almost as though the dramatic music would say, dun, 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 right? Does Jonah really want to die? And we know that from... Is that like in Batman Flash? (laughs) It is, you know, the the, the little bubbles with words, right? Because if he wants to die, it's inconsistent with the language that he gives us kara. Right. He calls. He doesn't just lightly, reverently, silently right. call out to God. No, he's crying out. Better translation, he screamed out. This is pause right there because this is not the first time this word's come out, that the, the sailors kara to their gods. Right. You know, um, in fact, the word for prayer in verse one uh, is really the technical word for prayer. But here's... 
God hears those kind of prayers. He does. The, the prayers we literally just, we, you know, okay, let's put all decorum away. Let's put all, you know, I'm just a quiet prayer. No, 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 no. There are times when you, you literally cry out with your actual voice. Yes, God can hear your heart. He can. But there are times when you mean, when you mean business, it's, you know, you're, 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 you're as if he's saying, love me with your whole heart, soul, and mind, and cry to me with your whole heart, soul, mind, mm-hmm. strength, you know, as, as, and like you really mean it. And here, finally, he does that. He finally does that. In fact, he does that at the point when, when death is starting to surround him, when, when it's becoming, uh, the, 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 it's becoming um, more and more and more difficult to, to, uh, to, to, to leave that. You know, the water is coming around him. The, 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 you get the, the sense of the, the seaweeds are coming around him. And it's like they're en- engulfing up and wrapping around him. And there's little, little room for escape and leaving. And still he's crying out to God in a place where he is going to be where he can't help himself any longer. Yeah, as, as, as I look at the text, John, I look at this first introduction, which is Jonah's summation. Right, of, right. He's reflecting. He's reflecting back, yeah. And so it is reflective in nature, and he says, so as I look back on this, I screamed out to, and notice the name of the Lord that he uses, Yahweh, Yahweh. Yeah. which is the covenantal name of God. Listen, he's not obeying him, but he also realizes, but my disobedience didn't take me out of covenant. See, that's what's that's what's beautiful about the Lord is, and God doesn't say, "Well, I'm going to wait till you clean up your act before I answer your prayer." He he responds, though this is an imperfect prayer. This is a, in a lot of ways, it's a self-centered prayer. Oh, his heart's very not, much is. His heart's not changed. Twenty-seven times he He's, uses the the term "I." I well, right? I, 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 this, I, I, I. He's the mean monster, but still, God responds to that cry of help in distress. You know, the imperfections of the prayer. Okay, God can deal with that. It's the fact he hears somebody crying out for him and he responds. And that's the beautiful, beautiful thing of the Lord. It's not what you and I would do is like, well, you know, he's, he hasn't changed. I'm, I won't answer his prayer until he changes. You know, I'm, a, I'm like, no, that's not how God is. He's more gracious than we are. He's more kind than we are. And not only is he more, more generous. kind and generous, but the tool of God, namely the appointment of the fish that resulted in distress for the prophet had its desired result. Yes. And the distress here is interesting because the term has this sense of oppression, right? right? This external oppression that results in psychological agony. And so he says, I screamed out to my covenantal God from my external oppression that caused me internal psychological agony. Right. In other words, distress can be an instrument of God. Yeah. I want to. I want to pause here. That's a good point. Because, because sometimes we're so busy trying to rescue people from distress that right. we fail to see distress is the instrument by which God is attempting to answer our prayer to restore a person who is distant from fellowship with God. And so we have to be careful not to mother hen people right. and give them a buffer zone between God and his chastising grace. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point where he responds to, 
to the the honest cry for help, and we try to prevent people from getting to that place where they cry out for help. Now, this is the antithesis of what the proverbial writer says, because one should respond to wisdom by hearing. Right. Not by experience. Right. But if they don't respond by hearing, God does, listen, issue forth experiences that are able to open the ears of the disobedient believer. Just think about this. Okay, so God allows us to go through the distressing you know, times and circumstances, which is a which is God ordained, so that we come to the place where we call out to Him in real prayer, in real honest prayer, so that He answers in a way that it becomes obvious that He answered, and it wasn't us, you know, um, manipulating, and that there is this there is this ref- reflection of of thanksgiving, so to speak. You know, like how how will um, if if you are falling and, and or if you are in a in a place where it's it's so bad and so distressful and you cry out and God answers your prayer you remember God's intervention in your life you know you remember uh, the the grace he gave you the strength he gave you uh the the just bringing you through that time let's say mm-hmm. so that there is this a there is this Lord willing, a, a appreciation in your heart, a, a recognizing that God did something. Whereas, if you're prevented from reaching that point of of uh, of having to call out, you never experience the real strong arm of God. You know, you 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 are living in training wheels constantly, and never learn to fall. But you for also God to pick still you up. retain a taste for sin, right? If you're not well broken, right? Right, and and and. And I want to be careful. So we with have to this. praise God for that, then. Are you sure you want to say that, John? Well, let's just I think, think we do want to say it. We, but. we do want to say it, but let's. But it's like this. It's it's like you know you have children, and you try your best to protect your kids from from things happening in life when they're young. You know you help. You don't want them scratching their knee and and falling. You put on. You know, when your kids are babies, you do put on those little rubber things on the side of the coffee table, you know, so they don't hit their head on that, you know. You do all everything to protect them, and as they get older, you still do that as much as possible. And in some way, it becomes very difficult when, when you have to step back and allow them to experience life and experience, the, you know, the hard things in life and not be the safety net so that they learn how to call on God and truly experience, you know. So I think I heard you say that there are times, not just when God allows distressful circumstances, but when he ordains them. Right. And, and, and I think we need to just pause there. That, that messes with people's theology. It does, because they think this couldn't be the will of the Lord. Oh, no, because God's not... Bad things aren't supposed to happen to good people. And I want to be careful with the Hebrew term here, because the Hebrew term is that which brings oppression or difficulty or pain physically, externally, and that which brings mental anguish internally. And you're telling me that when we're out of the will of God, that God could appoint distress and and you fill in the blank right right of such a nature that it breaks me and gets my attention driving me back to god yes it's a tool of god and the danger that we then play is 
I, I get what you said in the analogy about parents wanting to protect their children. Yeah. But here's what we have to be careful. You don't want to play protector against God. Right. I want to read a text here. Hebrews 12, verse number uh, 5. I'm going to cut into the middle of the verse that is an exhortation to the children of God in this context. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, Mm -hmm. nor lose heart or faint when you are reproved or corrected by him. Purpose clause, for those whom he, what, John? He loves. See, as a parent or as a husband or as a wife or as a child or as a pastor or as a member, I can act as though my love is superior to God's. And I can say, I love you so much that I'll never let you go through this. Have you ever thought it's because God loves someone that he allows them to go through it? Right. It's because God loves you that he ordains it for you to stop you from the hellish madness that you're engaged in. But what we do is we pit our emotions against God. It's a terribly emotional word. And we try to prevent those we love from experiencing pain. But pain can be good, though. And I'm not sure that that's the best route because if God is doing it, if God is doing it... right then he's doing it, says scripture, from the source of infinite love. Right. And infinite love understands this is the best way to break the mind, to break the will, and to break the body. Did you hear what Paul said in Corinthians of the young man who was sleeping with his stepmother? In 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, and this kind of sin was not even heard about amongst the Gentiles? I have. And and he says, listen, watch the godly thing that he does. He says, in my mind, I'm not there with you. Right. But I've turned him over. Over to Satan. No one wants to hear that. No. No one wants to hear that. Wait, what do you mean? You turned him over to Satan. That God at that moment becomes Satan's, that that, that Satan Satan rather becomes becomes God's God's breaking instrument and tool to so put a storm in this man's life. And and the church, by the way, what, is, what does Paul tell the church do, to do? Back up like an umbrella over his head in the rain right. so that the hail and the rain can beat and buffet his body right. so that his, listen to the language, his body, body might be destroyed. So that his So that his soul may be saved. might be saved. I don't know. That's, that, that's something we don't do. I mean, I mean, that's something that's, I'm saying it's radical, but it's something we don't do. But God's, of course, God is looking from an eternal perspective. And this person experiencing this kind of discipline and pain in time rather than in eternity is preferable. You know? And we get up on this self-righteous perch and we say, would a loving God do I mean, we say aloud. Yeah. Let's go further. Yeah. This is, since we're going to, since we're going hey, to be theologians, let's yeah. be theologians. Yeah. Allow is too soft there because yeah. what I read from Hebrews chapter number twelve says not it's not a, only allow. It's to like he does the chastening. Yeah. yeah. And he has various instruments, tools. He has a great fish. He has a worm. He has a plant. He has heat. 
He has a storm. But he has a wind. But isn't listen? Think about life. We do so much of our life trying to avoid as much discomfort and pain as possible. We live in Arizona. I got three air conditioning units in my house. <laughs> okay, let's be real. You know, I mean, an air conditioning is vital in Arizona. It's hot. Yes, you know? it is hot. We we put everything comfortable. We set it at a certain temperature at night, or we you know we we have our 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 you know cable TVs and our internet. Everything is at our finger. We don't have the exp- we try as much as possible to avoid discomfort. And those of us who like to exercise, and when I was running a lot, I would run. We we used to run. Oh, you're crazy, you know, and you know, what are we what are you doing? And and we try so we try as much as possible to avoid any discomfort, thinking, well, you know, we're better off. But here God uses it in a powerful way to try to get to the heart and try to 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 turn the heart, you know, and bring the heart to the point of 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 surrender. And if that's whatever God has to do, if he has to take you into a fish and take you down to the bottom of the ocean so you get to the point where you finally cry out and surrender, say, God, I give up, because, then he'll do it. Because you fallaciously think that your comfort matters more to God than your soul. Yeah. Eternal comfort. I, I, I think I want to say this. First, let me suggest what this text is not saying. God just doesn't go around hurting people. Yeah. That's not what this text yeah. is teaching. That's not what we're promoting. It's not what we're propagating. God is not trying to just be the biggest and the baddest. And because he's the biggest and the baddest, he's just going to put you through anything. That's not it. It is also not saying that it's the only tool in God's shed. Right. Listen, listen, Romans 2 verse 4. Or do you not know that it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? Right. That's my prayer constantly, John. Yeah. Please use that tool instead of the distress tool. Right. So we're not saying this is God's only tool. Third, we're not saying that every distress in the life of a believer or unbeliever is God. Right. At the source, at root, right? Sometimes we can cause our own distress. Right. Sometimes the adversary can cause our distress. Sometimes our social framework can cause our distress, right? So it's not saying that. What is this pointedly saying? in the scope of the context. This is God-ordained good distress that is causing difficulty to the body, discomfort and anguish to the soul for the sole purpose of not only restoring the prophet, but causing the prophet to come back into an alignment with God in fellowship that results in obedience. Here's my prayer for you. May you listen to the other means by which God is wooing you and drawing you and and calling you. May his goodness be enough to speak so deeply and richly and meaningfully to your soul. Like the proverbial writer argues, may you hear wisdom as wisdom shouts to you in the street. But if you don't, may God use whatever tool is necessary to break the body, to humble the heart, in order that he might save, rescue, and secure the fellowship of your soul. Because what really matters to God is the welfare of the believer. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at 
passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.